Hello there, and thanks for listening in to our Die of Matthew study. Die of Matthew is the dive study that began it all. Throughout February of 2019, lives were changed and the scriptures came alive to a group of about 50 people as they dove into the book of Matthew, all 28 chapters in 28 days. It moved at a fast clip, but even with that rigorous pace, it became clear that it was worth pursuing an ongoing ministry based on these studies. This is how Dive Collective began. Our new dive studies will be formatted differently, but the process of inductive study remains the same. So as you listen through the book of Matthew, know that we are waiting to welcome you into our current live dive studies where we engage with our Bible study members and dive in at a manageable pace for study. You can find everything you need to know at divecollective.org under our studies tab. Enjoy your time in Dive Matthew, and we hope you'll join us in real time soon. So welcome to Dive Matthew, where we're going to be doing 28 chapters of Matthew in 28 days. For the first study, you're going to want to download our dive guide at www.divecollective.org in our shop under free downloads. Dive studies are our version of inductive Bible study. This particular study of Matthew was the first one we did back in 2019. I hosted that dive guide in a different format on a different website at the time, but now if you want to join in and see how to do a dive study before committing to join us live, you'll want to go ahead and go to divecollective.org to download and get started. Let's go ahead and read through the 26th chapter of Matthew. If you'd like to skip ahead, this one is a long one. If you've already read the chapter, you can go ahead and do that now. You'll want to join back in at approximately nine minutes. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he told his disciples, You know that the Passover takes place after two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest, who was named Caiaphas, and they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so there won't be rioting among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says my time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will fall away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, Even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, Tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So, couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew a sword. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. Then Jesus told him, Put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father, and he will provide me here and now with more than twelve legions of angels? How then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I used to sit, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. But all this has happened so that the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Peter was following him at a distance right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward stated, This man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again he denied it with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, You really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So this being such a long chapter, I'm going to go through the observations that I made for the different portions because I think that the observations will help us to remember what we were seeing in the text that informed the interpretations. So I divided this, this first section I have is verses 1 through 16. I said that Jesus just got done speaking in parables and telling about the end times, and now he's telling his disciples that in two days he's going to be crucified. Right, okay. So at the same time that Jesus is telling the disciples that in two days he's going to be crucified, the chief priests and elders are conspiring about how and when to kill him. Okay, so if you pay attention to the way that God writes a story, Mm. you can see the juxtapositions that he's writing. So we have kind of like dramatic irony. Mm -hmm. You know, you're seeing these both things happen at the same time. So those two things are happening at the same time. And then... Jesus is at the house of a leper. I never realized that he was at the house of a leper when an unnamed woman comes and pours very expensive mm-hmm. oil on his feet. Now, this is Mary Magdalene, I think, in another yeah, gospel, right? I think so. Okay. At any rate, this unnamed woman pours expensive oil on Jesus' head, and Jesus says she's preparing him for burial. So he's still kind of focused on preparing mm-hmm. them for the fact that he's about to die. But the disciples were indignant because... They say that that money could have gone to the poor. If you go to another gospel, I want to say it's Mark. We get a little bit more detail about this. Judas was the money bag handler. It's actually Judas that's indignant. In the other gospel, it says that Judas is the one that's indignant about this woman using the money in this way and him saying that he basically argues that it could have been used for the poor. And we know Jesus knows the motives of the hearts, which the belief is that Judas would take money from the money bag. And that left less money in the money bag. So here's another juxtaposition that's happening. So as Jesus praises the woman and says that she's always going to be remembered for this good deed that she did, Judas, the very next line we see that Judas is going to the chief priests and he's, now he's trying to find a way or trying to find the right time mm-hmm. to betray Jesus. So what we're seeing is another juxtaposition. Like this woman is doing this thing that's going to create fame for eternity just as Judas's story turns and he begins mm-hmm. his story of infamy. So I'm just kind of observing and loving the, the juxtapositions that are happening here. They gave him 30 pieces of silver. And at that point, he begins looking for a way and a time to betray him. So for interpretations, I have, while the chief priests are conspiring about how to kill Jesus, Jesus is preparing the disciples for him to be killed. But we're seeing God preparing his people at the same time that Satan is preparing his people. Mm. They're kind of both working at the same time for opposite purposes, while Satan doesn't know that ultimately he's about to bring salvation to the world. Mm-hmm. I just love that's That is... Do you think Satan doesn't know? Redemption. No. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. 
No, in fact, I'm trying to think of... This is where I... Because the demons knew he was the son of God. The demons knew that he was the son of God, but I don't think that there's any way that Satan knew that... I don't think he foresaw that that was going to be the sacrifice that brought salvation to the world. He thought he was killing God's plan. Right. Not realizing that he was... Yeah. Fulfilling... Which is such an interesting thing, I think, because I think Satan knows he's going to lose in the end. Like, I think Satan knows that. I think he knows that he can't beat God, but it doesn't change the fact that he still tries. I mean, I think maybe from the first part, the only really valuable thing that I have is just that God is writing that story, that there's Mm -hmm. the dramatic irony going on and that... There's so many layers that are going to, that are just starting to come together, mm-hmm. you know, because then you can go to that. I think the next part right. is during the Passover. Like, think about that. The layers that are starting to come together. Mm-hmm. This is, this is where everything comes together from all the story that he's been writing. That's kind of yeah. mind blowing to think about. Yeah. I think honestly, too, that while I was doing this inductive study, Personally, that's exactly how I felt. When I was reading this passage after having daily gone through the that's exactly how I felt was Here we go. This is Yeah, it. here we go. Yeah. This is amazing. Like and I think that's why I think that's why that stood out. Like while I'm looking at like the dramatic irony and I'm seeing it all happen and mm-hmm. I'm going, Oh my gosh, God is like totally like it's almost like the writers came to do a writer's workshop mm-hmm. and it was about suspense and how to write suspense and how like the beat sort of picks up, like mm-hmm. as it gets closer to the climax, you should start to feel like an increase in pace and mm-hmm. pulse. And that's, I feel like exactly how this yeah. reads. Like you can see all of that suspense mm-hmm. picking up and you see the ju- the dramatic irony happening, the juxtaposition between um, the disciples and Jesus being prepared for burial and then the chief priests and Judas then coming and being a part of that. This mm-hmm. is just one giant drama mm-hmm. perfectly written drama which then gets us into this next part so verses 17 through 30 i think is where we're talking about the passover correct okay yeah so 17 through 30 they're in the day of unleavened bread and jesus is asking them to go ahead and find a certain a specific man in the city mm-hmm. where to hold passover and jesus says my time is near the disciples did so and prepared passover judas is part of all of this and also plotting his betrayal so G- judas is like we know what's happening behind the scenes with Judas, but we also see him now part of like he's mm-hmm. he's pretending he's still, to be part yeah. of the team and he's being included as part of the team, which I think that's been really helpful for me to see or to think through how to live among people, to know that we're all capable of being Judas mm-hmm. and Judas is among it. Jesus knows and Jesus still lets Judas be a part of, he doesn't exclude him. He he just knows who we are mm-hmm. and what we're capable of, and he still includes the worst of the worst. He doesn't mm-hmm. separate any of that until the end. Mm-hmm. I wrote that the Lord's Supper is the last time that Jesus ate and drank wine until the new kingdom comes and we all mm-hmm. eat at the banquet together. Does it actually say that in there? I know it does at some... I don't know if it's in there. Or did I just make that... Did I kind of Yeah, no, it does. It doesn't... I know it says it... I wasn't sure if it says it in Matthew, but it does. It says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I mean, just the, the suspense. Mm-hmm. I, all of this writing and all of the suspense is all just kind of like we're seeing it all come together. Mm-hmm. It's all the layers 
from the Jewish history to the new kingdom are all sort of going colliding mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. one moment, which is really exciting because this is where I want to get to the talking a little bit about the Passover. Because again, we're talking about juxtapositions. And if you look at the juxtaposition between as the disciples are having the Passover dinner, basically what's happening is Jesus is the ultimate Passover. He is the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. So when we, I guess we kind of have to go back really to yeah. understand Passover. You have to go back to the Red Sea, the Jesus party in the waters of the Red Sea. Nope. Before that. Before that. Before they left that yeah. last night. It's ten Ten plagues. plagues. And it's the last one when he kill when the firstborn sons die. So the Passover is protecting the sons of Israel. Right. The so they sl- they all have to go slay a lamb, mm-hmm. and then they rub the blood of the lamb goes over the doorposts, mm-hmm. and wherever the blood of the lamb is covering that household, the last plague of disease that kills the firstborn of every household mm-hmm. in Egypt skips over those houses. Mm-hmm. So all of Egypt, all of the people that were not God's people. They were protected by the blood of the mm-hmm. lamb. So that blood of the lamb was symbolic of the protection of God. Mm-hmm. And it was a symbol of the sacrifices that were still to come. Like they, the, the law of sacrifice would have still been to come after Moses, mm-hmm. after the Exodus. Then they would have, that would have been the beginning or the representation of the sacrifice that then they make from now, mm-hmm. from then on. The blood of their sacrifice is what keeps them right. from the wrath of God. And like you said, Ultimately, the whole, it's pointing to Jesus' final Passover lamb. Right, which is the point. So that Passover lamb from the Passover, what they're doing in the middle of all of this drama that's playing out at this point in the gospel of Matthew is they're doing the representation of what is about to happen. Mm-hmm. So now what is about to happen is that they, after they do this Passover meal, Jesus is going to go out and then begins the drama that leads to his crucifixion mm-hmm. and his crucifixion then when we call him when we say that we're saved by the blood of the lamb mm-hmm. that's what we're saying we're saying that we're saved by the blood of jesus his sacrifice his innocent perfect sacrifice mm-hmm. his blood then covers us mm-hmm. just like the blood of the lamb in the passover covered mm-hmm. the doorway yeah um, and saves us from god's wrath so they're preparing this Passover meal, and Satan and Judas are also preparing the final Passover. This is the pinnacle of God as Redeemer. What Satan means for evil, mm-hmm. God always takes mm-hmm. and uses for good. Mm-hmm. Always. But this is like... This is the ultimate. This is the ultimate using, yeah, redemption the ultimate good, plan ultimate redemption. where we can look at the gospel and go, this is what God does. Mm-hmm. Not just here, though, but in every way along the way, we can see his redeeming plan that when mm-hmm. Satan does something bad, when mm-hmm. something awful happens, the redemption that comes from there's always redemption that can come from mm-hmm. that when we're surrendered to God's ultimate plan. One of the other observations that I made during this Passover meal was that all the other disciples, when Jesus says that one of them is going to betray him, all of the disciples say, surely not I, Lord. But Judas responds, he calls him rabbi. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. And this was important for the interpretation that I make later and really more the application. Is it possible that Judas actually never recognized him mm-hmm. as Messiah? Does you have said it refer to him calling him rabbi? I think it refers to him saying, is it me, basically. But he doesn't say, is it me? Well, he doesn't. Surely not I. I know. I think. Well, but I Jesus think- doesn't respond that way to anybody else. It, well, it's not. It doesn't say that. It's kind of like, well... 
You have said it. Yeah, yeah. Your, your... Yeah, your word's not mine. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the way that I've always read it. But you think it might be referring to the fact that he's not recognizing him as Messiah? I don't think I really think it, but I think that that's I mean, sort of what... I mean, that's what I was going for there. I was thinking, well, like, gosh, that's interesting that... It almost seems like that's something that Jesus would say. You're the one that just said that I'm not right. The Messiah, it goes completely but... hand in hand because yeah. if Judas did recognize him as the Messiah, he wouldn't have betrayed him. Yeah, I think that I think it's safe to say that. Yeah, I guess you could maybe not. I think you can recognize him as Messiah and not believe mm-hmm. in him. Yeah. So, but whichever way Jesus or Judas didn't accept him as the Messiah, and so right. So. It actually makes me wonder whether Judas, so Judas followed him for three years, mm-hmm. right? He was one of the disciples for three years. So mm-hmm. he followed him. And it makes me wonder whether Judas is, was Judas was always in it for the, the, earthly, ki- kingdom. the earthly kingdom place mm-hmm. that he thought he was going to get mm-hmm. when Jesus came and took. And then as he realized this guy's not going to yeah. do what I thought he was going to do. Yeah. He had always stayed teacher to him. And so even going back, if you think about the way that we call, we thought about the disciples going maybe following Jesus because now we have somebody that's giving us value and we mm-hmm. can have the opportunity to be more than fishermen or tax collectors mm-hmm. or whatever they were doing that wasn't as honorable as becoming a teacher of the law. Mm-hmm. The application that I came from that as I thought about that and Judas calling him teacher instead of a rabbi instead of Lord. How many times do I come to the word to become more wise or to become taught mm-hmm. by the word, but not, to come to my Lord. I guess that is really, that's the difference, right? We're coming mm-hmm. back to, to the same theme that we've been following all along, which is mm-hmm. your heart to know God versus to know about God. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference there. And we almost have the heart of a betrayer when we come to the word with anything. But our hearts. But our hearts to know our Father, mm-hmm. to know our Lord. So this last passage where Peter betrays him, All right, so I remember, so there's this one conversation that I had with good friends where I remember them saying, if there's something that you really, 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 really don't want to do and you fix your mind on it, you're going to end up doing it. Or if there's something that really, 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 really worries you, it's going to happen. Like, Hmm. I don't remember what the context was, but I remember them saying it and I remember thinking, I wonder if that's true. And it has been true for me. A letter recently. <laughs> so what I, this is what I think of when I see Peter basically tell Jesus, I would never, I would never do deny that. you. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like because Peter says it publicly, not only does he deny him, but he denies him three times mm-hmm. publicly. Like he's got this public denial that he's above doing something so mm-hmm. terrible. Peter, who has a history of tomfoolery and buffoonery. (laughs) It's like you should have seen it coming. So Jesus tells him that he's going to fall away um, and that he's going to deny him three times. Peter Peter says that he would never do it. And then later, when he takes them into the Garden of Gethsemane, he also asks them three times to pray. And three times they fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And he tells them to pray to avoid temptation. There's something there. I wondered whether if Peter had stayed awake and prayed against temptation, I wonder if maybe mm. he wouldn't have denied him three like times. Like maybe that was the temptation that Jesus was referring to? Maybe. <laughs> you know, I wonder. 
What was he saying? Because right, what were what were the temptations in the garden that night for the disciples? Right. I mean, it doesn't really seem like there would have been a lot. Right. Unless. But there's a lot of three times that happens here. So Jesus, Peter denies them three times. Jesus tells Peter and the disciples to stay awake and pray three times. Jesus goes and asks for the cup to pass three times. Mm. That's just an observation, noticing that the repetition there. Interpretation-wise for the Peter thing, I said Peter denied he would deny Jesus. All would fall away, Jesus said. But when Peter said, no, Lord, Jesus pointed out the gravity of his coming sin publicly. Perhaps all of them denied Jesus at some point, but Peter is so much more prominent because he publicly declared that he was above it. Mm. So he's publicly guilty times three. And then I wrote again, perhaps if Peter had stayed awake and prayed against temptation to deny Jesus, he might have not fallen into the temptation. But he was tired, so he slept. Another observation that I made here is that the Jesus, that the angels came and tended to him, right? To Jesus? I wonder if that's from another, because that sounds vaguely familiar to me when he's in the garden. Yeah. Did I get that from another? Maybe. See, this is where I was doing this on my own, so I probably just added it. Which I kind of love. I love this last part of Matthew that we've been doing the podcast I've been reading the other gospels too yeah and I love being able to compare them compare them, them yeah and see because it only makes it more rich yeah it doesn't like I guess I've always I've always read the gospels and been like they're so different yes like, it's not it, like the, it's a bad thing yes yeah it's no. not it just adds like depth. you said depth yeah mm-hmm the, so if he wanted, he could call on 12 legions of angels and they would come for him. So the point that I'm making here in the interpretation that I was having a hard time doing is that Jesus prayed that prayer in Gethsemane and he said, pray so that you will be kept from temptation. And for two more days, he endured the temptation to call on mm. angels like because he spent that time praying. Mm-hmm. It yeah. makes me think that like for two days, he must have been tempted mm-hmm. to do exactly what he's saying there is I could... Yeah. Avoid all of this. But him praying three times, not your will, but my, not my will, but your will, not my will, but your will. And it kept him from doing what he could have done. Right. At any time. And thinking about that from Jesus's, like from the human perspective, that Jesus was a a man. Yes. Knowing that you have the ability to stop something and choosing not to for the good of other people. (laughs) Yeah. Is a hard thing for days. Yes. Yeah. To choose... This makes me think of the post that I showed you today. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking online and I was reading the history of the guy who wrote the It Is Well song. Mm-hmm. Do you know any of it? Is he the one um, whose his kids and wife were on a ship and drowned? Yes. Yeah. Well, his kid. Okay. So he if actually there's... was a super rich man. He had a ton of money. He lost it all in the Chicago fire, Mm -hmm. or he lost a lot of it, almost all of it in the Chicago fire, all of his Mm -hmm. wealth he lost. And then like the next year, he was sending his kid, his family off on a ship to London. Yep. And the three girls died, but his Mm -hmm. wife lived. Mm -hmm. So then he went over and he met his wife. He had another kid. That son died. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just and then he lost the rest of his money and something else. But he went and he ended up writing. He was friends with Moody, mm-hmm. and he wrote this song. And the this in that same circle of friends was a worship leader or somebody. So he ended up writing the 
the um, music to accompany it. And so this is the story that we hear, right? Is this man who goes through all of this and then he writes like the most amazing Mm -hmm. hymn of all time. Well, the end of the story is that he completely falls away and Mm -hmm. has like these crazy ideas of what, of who God is and what he's going to do in the end times. And he goes to Jerusalem to wait for Jesus to come back. Like it's bizarre, Mm -hmm. which. Don't let me turn into that. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of what I'm like, I guess that's what I'm thinking is like Peter, just like Peter would say, like, I'm above it. Like, I right. would think that when you go through something hard and you come out on the other side, okay, I can't think of how many times I've been like, I mean, if I endured Lydia dying and mm-hmm. my faith just grew stronger, my faith is just going to go stronger mm-hmm. no matter how hard it gets. Lord, yeah. I don't mean that. Like, I really yeah. like, I take it back. That is not... <laughs> I mean, that's, I've never said that out loud, and I don't think I've even ever thought it, but man, to watch this guy's life and to see the song that he wrote and the way that he's kind of held up to be this spiritual, he was human. Mm-hmm. He did not endure to the end the way that a perfect Christ can endure mm-hmm. to the end, but we hold him up like he mm-hmm. was. There's an end to that story that shows that he's not, he's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. And not, we should maybe be more aware of, how much like Peter we are. Yep. Then I think that we could be anything like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm just getting the application right now. I mean, as I'm, as I'm thinking through all of this, like that's really, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Jesus stayed up in the garden praying against temptation because only Jesus can withstand that Mm -hmm. kind of temptation. We could never have Mm -hmm. ever. I would have certainly called down the legions of angels Mm -hmm. before I hung there on the cross and let people spit on me. Never in a million years. Anyway, I think maybe that's probably the most powerful application that we can take from any of this is when Jesus says, stay up and pray so that you'll be kept from temptation. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. (laughs) Don't even think for a minute that you're above it Mm -hmm. because he will humble you. Humility is something we should all seek, but it is a hard, hard lesson to learn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dive Matthew. If you enjoyed our version of Inductive Bible Study and want to join our community of people all working on the same book of the Bible together, come check us out at divecollective.org and sign up for one of our current live dive studies. We believe you'll find a welcoming community, one where you'll be challenged, inspired, and uplifted. Come and see.